0: Would stay in this room, God, Lord, and that you would just let your word be spoken in your name. Amen. All right, I have a question. How many, who has, who's ever had just a really, really weird injury happen to them? I'm not talking, not like you, you broke your arm or you sprained your pinky, something that's just strange. Okay, what, what happened? Fractured? No, that's not weird. I need something, I need something just out of the norm. You what? You fell out of a treehouse. Okay, that's just kind of weird. What about you? What? Horse kicked you in the head. You take, you take the, the prize right there. Everybody get up for a horse can kick in the head. There you go. Yes. Yes. All right. Let me tell you about a weird injury that I had. All right. Let me just say about a weird injury that I had. When I, when I was in fourth grade, when I was in fourth grade, I woke up one morning. And I noticed I had like a little bump on my arm. It's so like, what, what is this? This isn't supposed to be on my arm. What are you doing there, little guy? And so, so he, you know, he didn't say anything back because he was a bump and he didn't talk. So I, I kind of went a couple days and was wondering what was going on. Why is there a bump on my arm? My mom and dad said it was like a bug bite or you know, an ant bite or something like that, and then a mosquito, and it would go away in a couple days. It didn't go away. So then they were saying, well, maybe it's maybe it's like an infected hair. Maybe one of your hair follicles got infected on your arm. I was in fourth grade. I don't even have hair on my arms yet. I, I'm not a man, and so that didn't work very well. And, and so that it, it wasn't an infected hair, so I didn't really know what it was. Well, then I went to the doctor and they said, you know, it's probably just some kind of weird, like mosquito bite that just has a weird reaction. It'll go away in a little while. Well, it didn't go away. It didn't go away. About a week later, I went back to the doctor when this thing was no longer a bug bite. It was this big on my arm and it was black. What is this, is what I wanted to know. My obvious question for my bug bite that didn't tell me anything. Come to find out, I was bit by a spider. Yeah, a speeder. I was bit during the night by a spider. And so I had to go to the doctor and they had to put this numbing cream on it and then they cut it open and all the gushy and goo and blood just came out and just poured everywhere on me. Um, But then the weirdest thing happened. The next morning, I woke up, and for some reason, my hands started sticking to walls. And then I was able to shoot. No, I'm just kidding, that didn't happen. But for real though, I did get bit by a spider. I really did get bit by a spider. Now, the, the question that I always got asked, and the question that sometimes we get asked when really weird injuries happen to us is, what did it feel like? Every time I to ask, tell someone that I got bit by a spider, they say, what did it feel like, Chris? Chris, what did it feel like? It hurts. what it felt like, that's what it felt like. You know we have a tendency to always ask people what it felt like you know I got engaged last weekend and I woke up the next morning came to church and I had someone come to me and ask me Chris what did it feel like to wake up that this this morning and I said you know I just woke up and the stars were just or the sun was shining the birds were chirping and love was in the air and I woke up and I read I read songs of Solomon and it was just perfect and and I was just no I didn't do that I'm sorry Rachel I didn't do that though I, I woke up I took a shower, I got ready, and I came. We always want to know what it feels like. Like, what did it feel like when you got hurt? What did it feel like when you got engaged? Or, or we'll ask people, we'll go a little deeper, too. You know, sometimes we go a little deeper. Say, you know, what What did it feel like when that person started spreading that rumor about you? Or what did it, what did it feel like when uh, your boyfriend or girlfriend dumped you? Maybe we'll go even farther and we'll say, what... What did it? What did it feel like? Uh, what did it feel like? You know, when you heard your parents fighting that one time, or what did it feel like when your parents told you that you were they were getting a divorce? See, a lot of times, we want to know the heart behind things, the emotions behind a certain situation. We have a nag to know that. We have a desire to know that. And you see, God knows that we have that desire. God knows that we want to know the emotion behind things. That's why we serve an emotional God. That's why we have a Bible that's full of stories and descriptions of the emotions of God. I mean, you can look at Jeremiah 1, where God literally says to his people, I remember when you had love for me like a child. In your youth, you loved me like a bride on her wedding day. But now you don't and it breaks my heart. Or we'll see Jesus who on the night before his crucifixion cries out to God, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, please. We can read in Isaiah 53 where it describes what Jesus went through for us, what it felt like for him to be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities and despised by all man. So, the Bible is full of passages and stories that let us see the emotions of God. And tonight, we're going to dive into one of those stories. Tonight, this story we're going to dive into tonight in Genesis 22, it's a story about the emotions of God, but it's also a preview about an event that's going to happen later on in history. okay I I love going to movies. I can't afford to go to movies very often, so I look at bootleg ones on the internet. But I, I, when I can afford to go to a movie, I enjoy it thoroughly. And my favorite part about, the, about a movie experience is the previews. And I know I'm weird, and I know a lot of people hate the previews, but I absolutely love the previews. Like, it gets me fired up when I see a preview, like about like, like when I saw, like the, I recently just saw the new Hobbit preview, the new, the new Hobbit that's coming out this winter. Mm, I'm going to be seeing that movie. It's going to be a good movie. Real good movie. Gets me fired up. But you know the thing about a preview? Here's the thing about a preview. The preview doesn't tell you how the story ends. Frodo didn't get the ring and throw it into the fires of Mordor in the preview. He did it in the movie. That'll preach. I don't know. I don't know why I said that. But you see what I'm saying? Previews show us something that's going to happen. And that's what the story does in Genesis 22. So tonight what we're going to do is, if you haven't noticed, I like to tell stories. I love telling stories. And that's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm just going to tell you guys the story that's presented here in Scripture. Um, But I want to ask one thing of you guys. I just want to ask that you just invest your time and invest yourself in this story for the next 15 minutes or whatever. I want you to put yourself here in this story. I promise you that if you do, I promise that God will have a word for you. if you just invest your time into the story, okay? So we're in Genesis 22. Genesis 22 is about a guy named Abraham. And here's a little background behind Abraham. Abraham was a guy who was a polytheist, which means he worshiped a ton of different gods. He engaged in idolatry. He was a sinner. He wasn't a saved man. And God, out of his love and his mercy, chose Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Said Abraham, I am gonna make your offspring great. I'm gonna bless them, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through them. So essentially God's saying, Abraham, when you have a kid, I'm gonna bless that child. And through his blood and through his, through his family and through his kids, I am going to establish a nation of my own. Well, the problem was that Abraham was old when God told him this. And he got older and he got older and he wasn't able to have children. And finally, when Abraham was almost a hundred years old, God finally gave him the blessing of his first son, Isaac. Isaac was his only son by his wife, Rebecca. She was his only son. It was his beloved son. And so tonight, we're going to look at the story between Abraham and his son, Isaac. You've got to remember that Isaac is Abraham's beloved son. So let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 22, all right? Verse 1 of chapter 22. He says, um, God's saying, you know, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. Okay, let's stop right there. What on earth is God telling him to do? kill his son? Like, what? The God of the Bible doesn't do that. The God of the Bible doesn't tell you to kill your own son. I, I mean, that's what the false gods this time did. And Abraham knew that. Abraham knew that the false gods of Kemosh and Marduk, they were the ones that said, hey, sacrifice your son to appease the gods. Hey, our culture is even okay with that. Our culture says it's all right to kill a child in the womb. It's okay. This is something that God doesn't do. Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, he never tells anyone to kill their own kid. <laughs> and you've got to think that Abraham knew that. Abraham knew that this was a little different. Abraham knew that this was odd and this was a weird request. How many of you guys have your parents ever asked you to do something that was just outrageous? Just ridiculous my dad, my parents hated over summer when I would be at home and when I did nothing but watch TV and and so they would give me random mundane tasks to do that made no sense whatsoever to me. I remember one time my dad made me scrub our entire garage floor with a toothbrush. With a toothbrush! I mean come on! With a toothbrush! And so uh, when I asked him why, like why on earth, (laughs) why on earth, dad, are you making me scrub the floor with a toothbrush? His response was this, we got company coming over. I don't know about you guys, but do you hang out in your garage when friends come over? That's weird to hang out in a garage. Something outrageous. And so naturally me just being weird, I wanted to question that and ask, hey, God, why, or my dad, why on earth are you telling me to do this? So I can imagine what Abraham was thinking when God told him to murder his son. Why are you wanting me to do this, God? That's what I would say. Why why do you want me to kill my son that you promised to me, that you promised to bless me through? Obviously, he's going to have questions because the God of the Bible doesn't do this. It's out of character. And even though Abraham can question him, he doesn't because he knows that God is writing a bigger story. That the plan that God is making and the plan that God has is bigger than Abraham's plan. So see, we see his reaction in verse three. He says, it says that Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't question God. He doesn't argue with God. The father just stays silent. He doesn't say anything, and we need to remember that, because we're going to see this recurring theme of silence in the story. That Abraham remains silent. He gets two of his two, of, you know, two uh, two men to come and help him, and his son Isaac. And he gets a donkey and he takes wood and puts it on the donkey's back, and then they travel. To the place that which God has told him. Now, the place of Moria, the place that God told him to go, it wasn't close. It was almost 45, 50 miles away. So it's a long journey. As we'll see in the next verse, it was three days lo- of a journey long. Just imagine that trip, if you would. The Bible doesn't talk about any dialogue going on, because I don't think there was any. I mean, the whole time, Abraham is probably just in agony inside he's tore up inside because he knows he's leading his son to his death i mean how many of you guys have you ever been around somebody that just has so much on their mind that they don't even recognize what's going on around them that's how i think it was and isaac the whole time wondering wait we've got the wood and we've got the fire but where wait Where's the, sacri- like, where's the lamb? Well, dad, I'll ask him later. And he seems really out of tone right now. He's, he's just kind of off, off in his own world. You've got to think that that was such a hard trip for Abraham to make. Because he knew what he was leading his beloved son to. He was leading him to his death. So it says that after three days they finally arrived at the place which God had shown him. And uh, Abraham looks at the two men, and he says, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Another place I don't get. What is he telling them they're going to do? Worship. No, he says he's going to worship. What? Like, what? You're not going, like, you don't have some acoustic guitar there with you, do you? I mean, you're going to worship Abraham? What? And you know something that's interesting is this is the first time that w- the word and the term worship is used in the entire Bible. The first twenty-one chapters of Genesis do not even mention worship one bit. And see, if you look at the original language this is written in, in in Hebrew, the word is shaka. And shaka literally means to give back to God what is his. You want to know why Abraham told them that he was going to worship? Because Abraham knew that in order to truly worship God, it would involve a sacrifice. It would involve sacrificing something and giving it back to God, giving back to God what was rightfully his. So he tells them, We're going to worship. Me and Isaac can go worship. Well, by now, Isaac's, you know, Dad, where the heck, like, wh- what are we doing? There's no, there's nothing to sacrifice here. And he, you know, he voices his concern. They start walking in and before they start walking up this mountain, Isaac says, uh, my father, Dad, hello, uh, hear my, and Abraham says, hear my son, hear my, he says, Dad, uh, behold the fire in the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Dad, where's the sacrifice? We've, we've come all this way. We've traveled for like 50 miles and you haven't even gotten a lamb yet. Where is the lamb? Where is the sacrifice, Dad? Have you lost it or something? We have to sacrifice something. And I love Abraham's response because it's the response of faith and obedience. He says in verse 8 that God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, My son. So they went, both of them, together. God will provide for himself the lamb. See, Abraham knew that God was going to provide the sacrifice no matter what, even if that meant him sacrificing his son. So they begin walking up this mountain, and we see that this actually describes, the story describes Abraham as putting the wood for the fire on Isaac's back and they walk up this mountain. And we we know that like, it's not the 21st century. There's not paths, there's not roads to go up a mountain. They're climbing up a mountain to the place that Isaac is gonna be sacrificed. And Isaac is carrying the wood that he's gonna be burnt alive on. He's literally carrying the weapon which is gonna kill him. And the whole time up as he's walking up that hill, who's right next to him? His dad is. And every single step he takes, you know, is like a dagger in Abraham's heart. Because at any second he can say, no, son, go home. We don't need to do this. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to see you suffer. But he stays silent. The father stays silent towards his son. And I know that Abraham was dying inside. They get to the top of the mountain. And the Bible doesn't say if there was a struggle um, or if Isaac fought back when Abraham finally told him that he was a sacrifice. And the reason why is because I don't think Isaac did. Because up until this point, Isaac has shown himself as being nothing more than an obedient son. It says they get up there and Abraham builds the altar. And he takes the wood and he puts it in order. Then he puts Isaac down to sacrifice him. And Isaac did this willingly. He didn't object because the Scripture would tell us. I mean, Scripture doesn't hold back when things get awkward. I mean, the Bible talks about an affair. So it doesn't hold back when things are getting weird and things are getting awkward. So if there was a conflict here, if Isaac would argue with his dad... We would have been told. It would have been written here. But the reality of the situation is that Abraham got up there and Isaac knew that he was now the sacrifice. And rather than fight his father, rather than go against his will, he lays down willingly to die because he knows that his father's will is greater than his will. Because Abraham is following God's will. So he's laying there on this altar on this wood and Abraham takes out a knife and you know that they're just like locked in and just staring at each other I bet you that Abraham cried tears are streaming down his face and he raised that knife and he's screaming in his heart God please no and rises about to plunge the knife into his son Isaac he hears a voice says, Abraham, Abraham. I mean, I would think he would drop the I and say, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Finally, you showed up. I'm here. Here I am, God. And there's a messenger from the Lord there. And he says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear the Lord, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him. There was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Why is this story in the Bible? I mean, this is not an ordinary story. Is this a story about some egotistical God that just is like power hungry and wants to see his subjects just suffer and, and be tormented by him? No. Is this a story about one man's amazing and incredible faith? It is. But see, that's not the whole purpose and intent of this story. See, the messenger of the Lord comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I don't want you to kill your son because there's going to be another day when a greater father offers a greater son to die. And Jesus comes as the greater Isaac. See, he too would carry the wood on his back up a mountain to his death. See, he too would ask his father, Lord, where is the sacrifice? Father, Lord, if there's any other way, take this from me. He too would walk up a mountain and have his father there right with him. Why is this story in the Bible? Because God wants us to know what he went through on that day when Jesus went to the cross. This happened 2,000 years before Jesus would go to the cross. At the same spot that Jesus would die 2,000 years later. The same mountain. The reason why God put this in there was to show us what he went through on that day. See, God has had a built-in plan of redemption ever since creation. God has had a built-in plan to fix everything ever since the beginning. How many people in here are are watch people? They like to wear watches, like style or just you like to wear watches a lot. Any watch people in here? I'm a watch connoisseur. I love watches to death. I love Target too because you can get them for 20 bucks, which is great. Um, The purpose of a watch um, is to tell time. That's what the watchmaker makes the watch to do. You know, some watches are made, and they look nice, and they look kind of cool outside. But the purpose of a watch is to tell time. That's the sole purpose of it. That's why watches were invented in the first place. But sometimes watches don't tell time. They don't tell it correctly. And the watchmaker knew that. The watchmaker knew that uh, the watch would sometimes falter and not do what it was made to do. And so that's why in every watch, there's a knob here or there's a little button in the back that resets it. You can pull that knob out and you can twist it one way or the other and you can set the time so that the watch performs the function that it was made to do. We were made to worship God. That was the one thing that we were made to do. But see, God knew that there would have to be a plan to fix us. Because just like a watch, we don't do what we're made to do. Because our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden, when God gave them any tree to eat from, anything they could choose from, they chose from the one that God said not to choose from. Because they thought that their will was greater than the will of their father, who was trying to save them, who was trying to keep them in love with him. So when they sinned, Every single one of us in this room now are born into this world inclined to sin. Every single one of us are deprived in need of a Savior. Every single one of us need to be brought back to God. So God's reset plan, God's reset button, what came in the form of his son Jesus, who came to this earth, lived a perfect and sinless life and was hated for it. And so he was sent to a cross, he was beaten, he was made fun of, he was spit on, and he was murdered for me and for you. After three days, he raised from the grave, providing a way for each and every one of us to have eternal life with Christ and with the Father. How much does God love you? God loves you enough to watch his son be murdered for you. That's how much God loves you. God loves each and every one of you enough to watch his son be spit on for you. That when his son was walking up that mountain with a cross on his back, that even though, like Abraham, God wanted to say, please, just stop, I don't want you to suffer anymore. I don't want you to have to go through this anymore. He doesn't. Because he knew that the only way to save us was for Jesus to die on the cross. When you realize this, when you realize God's love for you, you won't continue to live in sin. When you realize how much God loves you, you're not gonna continue to look at those videos on the internet that you're looking at. When you realize how much God loves you, you're not gonna continue to do those things with your boyfriend or girlfriend that you're doing. You're not gonna continue to lie you're not going to continue to engage in sin habitually, over and over, with no remorse. See, Christianity is not behavior modification. Christianity is not, well, I can't do this. I want to do these things, but I'm not allowed to. But I, I, and I don't want to do these things, but I have to do those. That's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. The gospel is a life-changing truth that says when you realize how much God loves for you, you will put your faith in him and him alone. And you'll repent. You'll repent of the things that you've done. And you'll repent of your wicked nature. Like, what is, he, what is repentance? We get told that a lot. What is repentance? Repentance is literally giving up, realizing that you cannot find salvation or make God love you on your own, you just literally fall on the ground and fall upon what Jesus did for you on the cross, and that you realize that God can't love you any more or any less based on the things that you do, but that he already has loved you enough to allow his son to go to a cross and die for you. It's not changing the things that you do and doing the things that you don't want to do. It's literally giving up and quitting trying to live life on your own. Because you see, when you do that, you come to this place where you stand in front of the Holy, Righteous Father, 100% clean and justified. By the work and merit of Jesus Christ. What is true worship? True worship is giving up. If we want to live our life, we're going to have to lose it. Just like Abraham, we have to realize that true worship, genuine worship, comes in the form of a sacrifice a sacrifice that we have to make every single day to die to our old self. That I wake up every morning and I say, Chris Dotson, you can't live today. You've got to let Jesus Christ live through you. That is worship. We're going to spend some time now worshiping together. I'm going to have the band come on back up here. I want everyone just to bow your heads for a second. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 10 years or for one week. Every single day, you are given the chance to give up and to die to yourself. It's a constant, constant struggle because we're so trapped in sin and our sin wants to live. But I'm telling you, God the Father let his son, Jesus Christ, go to a cross and be murdered for you. He gave up everything, even his own son for you. And the least that we can do is give God our everything, is to give God our small little life on this earth. So as we worship, we're going to worship and sing, and then we're going to go into a time of of communion where we're going to take the Lord's Supper. But before we go into that, I want us to give up. I want us to realize that we can't do life on our own. It's the most greatest, <laughs> amazing feeling when you are just lost in Jesus Christ. And so in this next song, in this time, I want you to give up in your own way. Maybe that means for the first time, you give up and stop trying and stop trying to do life on your own and you realize that Jesus, I can't do this life on my own. I realize what your father went through and what you went through on the cross for me. Maybe it's the first time you've ever heard this. Maybe it's not. Regardless, every single one of us need to give up and die to ourselves every day. So we're going to worship and we're going to do that together now. Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the penalty that you paid and that you allowed Jesus to go through. I thank you that even though we are sinful, God, and even though we don't deserve anything, that God, you made a way for each and every one of us to be redeemed. God, I just pray that in this time, Lord, that we would just worship you in the only way that we know how, God, and that's by literally giving up. Lord, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for your
1: Jesus, Chris proclaimed his story pretty brightly tonight. What I want you to understand tonight is we're not inviting you here just to come. Yes, we want you to be here, but tonight I wanna do something a little different and I want us to partake in something that's really a sweet symbol of who Jesus is and what he's done. Tonight we're gonna take communion together and communion is just that, it's a symbol of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. The reason I say that is because there's one night Jesus was sitting in the upper room with his disciples, the guys who had followed them their whole lives, right? These guys like John and Peter, these guys that had surrounded him, and then on the night that he was to be betrayed, he was talking to his followers at the table, and he took a loaf of bread, and he took a cup of wine, and he began to talk to them, and they broke bread together. But it wasn't just that. God began to approach and and begin to paint a story. He said he took a loaf of bread, much like you see here. He took a loaf of bread and he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Take this and eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, the cup of the new covenant. The, cup, the covenant that Jeremiah and Ezekiel and others had talked about. He took the cup, he said, this is my blood, has been shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Every time we take the bread or take the cup, we're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. And tonight I want us to partake in communion. It's as simple as taking, paring off a piece of bread and dipping it in the juice and eating and remembering what Christ has done for you. But taking communion is a a holy sacrament. It's it's something that is to not be taken lightly. It's something that as believers, as those who trust in Christ, we get to partake in because this is what Christ has done for us. And I wanna encourage you, if you're a believer in Christ, if you have a personal relationship with Christ, that you tonight would come and take communion In response to what God's done in your life, you come to announce that God is the beginning of everything, that Christ is the one who's paid it all, that you can't on your own pay anything, but Jesus paid it for you. And I want to encourage you as a believer tonight, if you believe in Christ, if you've really made that commitment, then come and take. If you don't know Christ, I want to to encourage you to take Christ. I don't want you to necessarily take part of a symbol that you have no no idea what it's about or, or anything like that, but I want to encourage you to take Christ. So in a minute, and if uh, those adults uh, will come and take their cup and their bread at this time, they're gonna go stand in, in two spots over here, and two spots over here. If you guys will close in a little bit, close in a little bit. They're gonna stand in stations two over here and two over here and these that are coming have been uh, ordained in a sense because they're deacons in our church they're people that come in reverence of what God's done in their life and so by submitting to this and taking communion with us tonight you get to participate in something really truly special communion is one of the ordinances of the church much like baptism uh, which is something that we also encourage you tonight if you've never if you've accepted Christ but you've never been baptized man we want you to come and, and, and talk to us about believers baptism and what that means for you we'll baptize you here on a Wednesday night how cool would that be we'll baptize you in a large service downstairs on Sunday and if that's you tonight when we break here in a second Go and talk to somebody in the back about baptism. If you've never trusted Christ or you really don't know what it's all about and you just say, Brian, I don't don't really have a clue about what this Christian life is all about, then I encourage you to go and talk to somebody as well. Nobody's going to see you. We're all going to break off and go do our own thing. But if you do know Christ and you fully have full faith in what he's done in your life, and maybe you even come with full faith, but yet some fear and doubt. That's okay. We want you to come and participate in what God has done for you and rem- take it in remembrance of who He is in your life. This is a pretty cool thing that we get a chance to be a part of. And so I want you to not take it lightly. Before you go take of the bread first and dip it into the juice. I want you to go with a clean heart. So maybe that means right now you need to just fall to your knees and pray and spend some time confessing your sin before God. Saying, God, you know what, I've messed up. I haven't always been faithful, but tonight I wanna ask your forgiveness of my sins and I wanna come faithfully to take communion. And you have the freedom to do that tonight. So in a minute, when we go, I'm gonna pray. These guys are gonna play. After I end my prayer, go, fall to your knees, go take communion, go talk to somebody, but go. Dear Lord, we want to come tonight excited about the opportunity, God, to always remember you and what you've done for us. What a truly momentous occasion it was, Father, on that night when you went to the cross and you died for our sins, and God, you proclaimed life for us again. And God, tonight, we get the benefit of experiencing life for the first time, maybe some of us, and some of us, maybe a renewed life. To say, you know what? I'm tired of living the way that I've always lived, and I want to take Christ. You know what? I'm tired of the sin, the struggle that's weighing me down. I need to sit down on my knees, and I need to pray and ask God to take that from me. I want you to come with surrender tonight. God, please allow us to do that. Let us not take lightly, but let us be fully charged and excited about what you're doing in our life. God, may we remember you. May we do it in remembrance of you. May we offer up to you ourselves and die to ourselves and remember what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.